You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Sweden in Focus, the locals' weekly podcast looking at what's happening in Sweden with the election now just a week away. And this week we're going to discuss reports that the Centre Party leader Annie Love was an intended target when a woman was murdered on Gotland this summer. We'll look at increasing evidence that some Swedish parties are using duplicitous means to dramatically increase their visibility on social media. And now that the Sweden Democrats are polling as Sweden's second biggest party, we'll take a closer look at what a government supported by or including the far-right party would mean for Sweden. And finally, we'll listen to an excerpt from a chat Richard had with the Justice Minister Morgan Johansson and we'll consider, with the help of the head of a social movement in Malmö, whether the Social Democrats and other parties' proposals for tackling crime are likely to be effective. I'm Paul O'Mahony and I'm joined this week by James Savage. Welcome back from your holiday. Thank you. And in the Malmö studio, we have Becky Waterton and Richard Orange. How are you? Very well. Good, thank you. Good. And we've got an article coming up on the site about what it's like uh, making friends in Sweden. Can I ask all of you how you've done it? Start with you, James. <laughs> um, look, I'm, I'm lucky because I, I moved to Sweden with my husband and he had lots of friends already. And then gradually, I just sort of, you know... I went to work, made friends through work and through friends of friends of my husband. And But it took a long time before I got my own group of friends. I felt that, you know, these are mine and not just I'm not just a hanger on of my husband. Mm. It just takes time. It just takes time. But it also takes learning the language, I think, as well, if you want to make friends with actual Swedes. Because don't think that their facility with English means that they want to spend their whole free time speaking another language. Yeah, that's a good point. How about you, Becky? I think I'm definitely still on the hanging on to my husband's friends phase, which wasn't made easier by moving here just before the pandemic started and then having a baby just before the pandemic started, which is, you know, great for your social life. <laughs> but I've I've just started kind of, everyone has always been saying you need to jo- join like a training, like join some sort of activity. So I started doing ceramics and now I've got a place in a ceramic studio where I chat with some Swedes there. So slowly but surely trying to make some Swedish friends that don't already know my husband and didn't go to school with him. So definitely in the earlier stages of uh, of James's timeline. And Richard, what can you tell us about this article that's coming up? What's the sort of focus of the article? You didn't ask me about my friends. Um, but, but, <laughs> <laughs> tell us about your friends, Tell us Richard. about your friends first. Go on. Yeah, Go on. I mean, with me, we had a baby almost as soon as I arrived in Sweden. So we went straight to this open forschkula and I met a really good solid group of friends who all had kids the same age and were all in half Swedish half foreign couples so we had this massive network but now actually 
as all the kids have gone to school, that's kind of falling apart. So at the moment, I need to kind of go out and meet friends independently of my children. So I need to actually kind of reboot my social life a little at the moment. Well, now now that's good. We, we're up to date on your friends. How about this article? <laughs> <laughs> This article's by our intern, Rita Cruz, who's, I think, moved to Sweden with a partner and found that she's found it hard to make friends. So she's just done a course in data journalism. So she dug down into the data and the research that's been done on on loneliness by Statistics Sweden and found out that... um, that, that foreigners were, in fact, quite a lot lonelier than Swedes, not surprisingly, who, who've grown up here and, mm. and have their sort of their own social networks. And we also did a survey to bring it a little bit up to date. And again, you know, obviously a lot of respondents said that they struggled to make friends with Swedes in Sweden and most of their social network was still other foreigners, which is, you know, in a way is unsurprising. But I think it's important to highlight it because it's a problem it's something that a lot of people experience when they come to Sweden. Uh, perhaps more so than... I mean, it's perhaps something that happens yeah. in whatever country you move to, but I think it is maybe a little bit tougher in Sweden than, you know, Germany or France or some other countries mm. in Europe. So I, I have this kind of theory. All Scandinavians, when they're born, get given like 20 friend tickets. And by the time they're in gymnasium, gymnasium when they're like 19 years old... All of those tickets have been used up. So the only way you can get in and steal one of those tickets is if a friend moves abroad or moves to a different city or someone moves to a different area (laughs) or someone dies. And then you can quickly come in and be like, be my friend. And you can steal one of these tickets and get yourself a Swedish friend. And I think that that's just like changed the whole way I look at Swedes. Like you have your group of close friends. All of my husband's friends pretty much are people he went to school with and there's not really any new additions to that group unless it's someone's girlfriend or, you know, someone who's moved back from Stockholm that has been up, who used to live in Malmö. And it's, it's, I think it's very true. I actually think Sweden is easier than Denmark for making friends because when I've edited the, the Danish site, I've done similar stories on, on foreigners being lonely. And it seems like Danes really do have that friendship tickets. They meet their friends at school, they meet their friends at university, and then they have these very closed friendship groups. Whereas I think in Sweden, a lot of people, it, it's quite, it's it's a slightly more atomized society, Sweden. It's more individualistic. So there's a lot of people moving to Malmö or moving to Stockholm by themselves for a job. And, and they're looking to make friends too. And I think when I, I've met quite a lot of Swedes who, who don't have a friendship network in, in Malmo who are looking to kind of to meet people, which I don't think is maybe as common in Denmark. Okay, let's uh, let's get on to this week's news. So earlier this summer, psychiatric care coordinator Ingrid Wieselgren was stabbed to death by a right-wing extremist at the Almadalen political festival. And last week it emerged that one of the targets of the attack was the centre party leader Annie Love. And this is obviously quite a shocking story. Why was Annie Love a target and how has she reacted? Let's start by saying, you know, what what, what we found out last week was um, that uh, Annie Love had been named as a effectively a party in the case she'd been given a, she'd been given a, a legal representative to represent her 
um, in the trial of Theodor Engström, who, mm. um, who who is accused of, of the murder of Ingmarie Wieselian. We don't know exactly why he was why, why she was targeted in the sense that you know that, that we have relatively little information released by the prosecutors and by the police. But we know that Theodor Engström was um, had first of all he had psychiatric issues. Secondly, he had a history as, as a, a supporter and a supporting member of the Nordic uh, Nordiska Motståndsrörelsen, which is a, a violent far right group in Sweden. What we also know is that Annie Love has been the target of an incredible wave of hatred, particularly in far-right um, environments in the Sweden, in, you know, in, in, in the environments around the Sweden Democrats, in the Sweden Democrats' um, own web TV channel, uh, Ricks has um, targeted her as a particular hate figure. Mm. She's been she's been called by them variously a threat to democracy and Sharia Annie because she's supportive of of, of immigration. Annie Love herself has said that she's been threatened by far-right activists before. One thing that Annie Love has said in the past is that far-right activists released a film of themselves laying out what they called a last supper on mm. her driveway. Lovely. Um, yeah, re- really charming. And clearly she's, you know, she's seen herself as being as being a threat. She is seen as being as, as being threatened by these groups. The reason for this, above all else, is that she has taken a very strong anti-Sweden Democrat stance. She's been very strongly opposed to them. And the Centre Party's refusal to join with the other centre-right parties, Centre Party is a centre-right party, the, her refusal to join with them um, in working with the Sweden Democrats is seen as, you know, something that might prevent the Sweden Democrats from gaining further influence, from the, the right wing gaining further influence, and from, from stricter migration policies being enacted. So, you know, in that sense, she has become something of a hate figure on the far right, but also by elements you see on Twitter on the on, of, of, of what you would call the, the normal mainstream centre right. She's mm. not she is not popular in, on that side of politics at all. Yeah, this sort of ties in a little bit with the the next story. There was a, a report last week where it was alleged that the Sweden Democrats have sort of a secret troll army patrolling the internet, their own web channel, Ricks, which is which is very much not secretive. But there's this allegation that they also have a more covert operation. What can you tell us about that, Richard? Well, yeah, it was a report in the Dagens ETC newspaper, which is a sort of left-wing newspaper in Sweden. And the claim is that there's a secret group within the Sweden Democrats headquarters called Battlefield, which is based in a darkened, windowless room in the headquarters and sort of coordinates a sort of social media driv is the word they use in Swedish, a sort of a drive or campaigns yeah. against... Well, they use various... the word war. They say krieg. They call it a, a war, a krieg, and they say they use a kind of battle uh, technique drawn from Nazi Germany where lots of individual people are allowed to take their own decisions without direction from the leadership. And, and it, it's a kind of, it's a very colourful article which is, is reporting from inside the headquarters. But if you read in it, 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 it then turns out that the source is from before 2018. So obviously the reporter's spoken to someone who was working there before 2018 and can explain where it is. And then later on in the article, it goes, well, you know, our sources said that this is still happening and that they still run this troll army from inside the headquarters. What happened in 2018, according to this source, is that they would make decisions and then these various news sites like Politisk Incorrect or of Pixlad would then amplify them and then lots of sort of Twitter accounts would then jump on it and create a kind of volume. And then ordinary people would then join the sort of campaign and start tweeting similar sorts 
sorts of tweets. You set the whole tone for social media. And while the report doesn't really have much evidence as to what's happening now, I think my experience of of Twitter during the campaign is that this is definitely happening. I mean, there there is this there's this sort of angry wave of tweets whenever anyone discusses anything which is part of the especially the Sweden Democrats, but also the broader right wing policy areas, you get all of these people like going, yeah, you know, and making these kind of troll like comments. And a lot of them are anonymous. There's a huge amount of anonymous Twitter accounts. And yeah. And then there was also a a report in Aftonbladet that that mapped these Twitter accounts. They analyze um, sort of networks, particularly with the um, this account about the um, the, the the train in the, the, yeah, the, the tweet that Tobias Anderson does on, on a train to Kabul, which was we've spoken about in previous episodes. And and it said that when they tweeted that, it was immediately tweeted by hundreds of accounts that were, you know, if you dig into them, they're either robot account they're either bots or they're what they call cyber Cyborg. <laughs> Cyborg accounts, which, are, which are, aren't bots because they're controlled by a person. So the person they interviewed about it, he didn't know anything about Swedish politics in advance, so it wasn't kind of coloured by whatever party he prefers, but he, he identified the moderates and the Sweden Democrats as being specifically using this technique of retweeting with uh, bot accounts. I mean, one thing, I mean, j- just as an example, last night I was watching the electricity debate on um, on SVT, and if you look at the Twitter coverage of it, it's entirely one-sided and very angry sort of more angry than you'd expect people to be about Especially electricity in yeah I, I i i do wonder how many of those accounts reacting to what everyone says are real and to what extent it's part of a campaign which i think in sweden it's quite effective because sweden is as everyone says a consensus society so if people go on twitter and feel the consensus is this it affects the beliefs that people feel they can hold probably to a greater extent than it would in the UK or the US. Yeah, and probably what's important here as well is that it affects it affects media coverage because obviously we journalists obsess about Twitter because we're journalists and we spend a lot of time on Twitter. But politicians also spend a lot of time on Twitter and other journalists spend a lot of time on Twitter. And what I think happens here is that it affects it affects the kind of policies that they that, that are put forward. It, is, it, it, it affects the psychology of the political debate itself. It's not that it's not that ordinary voters are sitting there and looking at Twitter and thinking, oh well, you know, this is how the debate is developing and maybe I agree with these trolls or those trolls. It's more that 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 you know the people who are making the decisions, who are framing the debate, are subtly pushed in one in, in one way or another. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Okay, let's look now at what a government backed by the Sweden Democrats might mean for Sweden. In previous Swedish elections, all of the other parties pledged never to cooperate with the far-right Sweden Democrats, and that all changed when first the Christian Democrats and then the moderates said they would be open to a government that leaned on the Sweden Democrats for support, and gradually the Liberals also came round to this way of thinking. So now we have three parties that say they would be happy to form a government backed by the Sweden Democrats, And with this in mind, we thought this week we'd take a look at what direction Sweden is likely to take over the next four years if the right-wing bloc gets to form a government. First of all, I guess we should look at a list of policies that Jimmy Okerson released yesterday focusing on migration. Richard, I think you've been looking at that. I mean, one of the things I think is really interesting about this list of 30 proposals on asylum is that he didn't say it's a Sweden Democrat policy. He goes, this is Sweden's new immigration law, Sweden's future immigration law. So he's saying, this is what I expect. We're leading this as a Sweden Democrats and the other parties will back us. So he's presenting this as something of a, for a future government rather than a Sweden Democrat proposal, which is you know, I think quite provocative, I would argue. And also in terms of the framework, it's not that different from what the moderates are themselves proposing. If you look at the moderates' own manifesto, it says we want to make Swedish immigration policy the strictest it can be under EU law. And all the Sweden Democrats do is say, this is what we think is possible under EU law. So it is very dramatic. For example, that they're, they're planning to scaffold, which means just completely remove the right to permanent residency, which means that as, as an asylum seeker, you will always be on a temporary permit and just have to renew it over and over and over again. And the moment anything changes, the moment your country's deemed safe, you will then have to go back under their plan. And how does this affect people on work visas? Would they be able to get permanent residency or would this affect them too? They're saying it's for asylum legislation, but if there's one thing we know about Sweden, it's that very often people talk about immigrants and refugees as being the same. Like people are like the parties are quite bad at kind of saying, oh, no, but now we mean work permit immigrants. Now we mean asylum seekers. Now we mean this. What, what Becky was saying, you know, is, is right. And, you know, one example of that are the rules about family reunification, being able to bring your, your, your relatives over. Those w- rules were tightened with very much with refugees in mind. But obviously, the tightening of those rules also had a significant effect on people who moved over here for completely different reasons. So so there's a very serious risk or chance that changes in one part of immigration policy will have a knock on effects elsewhere. I mean, can I sort of of go a bit big picture as if you look at what happened, Sweden is the last Scandinavian country where this has happened. I mean, the last Nordic country. In Norway, you've had a coalition of the populist party and the right wing party. In Denmark, you had a really weak minority government that was completely dependent on the Danish People's Party, the populist for power. And I think in Finland, the, the Finns were either in the government or at least in the supporting coalition. So Sweden's actually the last country for this to happen. The question that I think is interesting is whether the Sweden Democrats are in some sense a different party and will behave differently from the way the populists did in these other Scandinavian countries. From the Danish model, I think one thing that's quite frightening is that the immigration minister in Denmark, Inge Stoiberg, she became almost more extreme than anyone in the Danish People's Party. She completely took their approach and tried to sort of outcompete them and become 
the sort of strictest figure. It, it's hard to exp- She was so provocative and so popular. There was she- this viral story where she like ordered a cake to celebrate bringing in Denmark's most yeah. strict. Yeah, what was it? She celebrated new, 50 strict. 50 new immigration New immigrations. And then she kept, kept on bringing out the cake whenever she had a, another milestone. Like she did 100, I think, before the election. She's also just started a new party, Denmark's Demokraterna. Oh, has she? Yeah, where do you think she got the inspiration for that from? But she got booted out. She got kicked out because then the party turned against her. But the underlying point is that what happened in Denmark was that the equivalent of the moderates became as extreme as the Sweden Democrats and basically did everything that they would want. And and that, I think that could easily happen. The moderates would put someone in place as the migration minister who would then drive through the sort of reforms that the Sweden Democrats have put in their leaflet. I think that's what we can pretty much expect to happen. Yeah. And I mean, they're also, this report is called Lowest Immigration in Europe. So even though they say it's about asylum immigration, the actual report is called Lowest Immigration. Which is exactly the formulation that the Danish People's Party used. We want to have Europe's strictest immigration policy. As often happens with Sweden Democrats, they've taken it directly from Denmark. I think what's interesting here is whether this is... Um, whether this is going to work for the moderates, whether doing what, you, what you're saying here is going to work for the moderates, if whether aping Sweden Democrat immigration policies is in the long run going to be something that for the moderates is a sustainable policy. Because if you look at what's happening now in the polls, the moderates are polling at their worst levels for decades. I mean, and possibly in some polls even worse, you know, they're, 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 I think they got they got something like 15% of the vote in um, in, in about, um, what was it, in, under Bull Lundgren in the early 2000s. And, you know, in some, in, in, in some polls, they're doing even worse than that. They could even do worse than under Bull Lundgren. And that's at a time when they are effectively, you know, trying to sound as tough on immigration and, and, and on crime and disorder as the Sweden Democrats. You know, their whole policy is to sound as, as tough as possible and to sound as, you know, close to the Sweden Democrats as possible, effectively. The question is whether this strategy works or whether it just simply makes people think that they, if they're going to vote for that kind of policy, then they'll vote for the real deal, which is the Sweden Democrats. And if it just helps the Sweden Democrats. Because right now, looking at the polls, it, that seems to be what's happening. I mean, that's on the posters. It says, I've seen posters saying Ruster for Originalet, vote for the original, uh, by a Sweden Democrat, Valstugor, which I think is, is quite a potent message. Yeah. I think it would be very interesting if the Sweden Democrats end up being the biggest party, which it looks like they probably will, because there are lots of areas where they are quite left wing and there where I can imagine there being some kind of issues with the moderates, like... Jimmy Orkerson was saying that he wouldn't accept lowering the ARCASA, so the um, unemployment insurance, and the moderates have said that they want to lower that. So that's that's already one issue before the election where they don't agree. Because I think the Sweden Democrats have kind of a, got a lot of voters that are like traditional workers. So it could be like like old Social Democrat voters. I think that also kind of raises the question of where are they going to compromise? What are the Sweden Democrats willing to give up in their kind of economic policy it's interesting to it's interesting because you know what you could end up with depending a little bit on how coalition negotiations go if what you can could end up with with a social democrat led government is quite a lot of the center parties 
economic policy, which they've been quite good at forcing on the Social Democrats in this last period. And that would be, you know, centre-right economic policy, whereas what you could end up with if you, with the moderates forming a government, is quite a lot of centre-left economic policy through the Sweden Democrats. It's a sort of an upside-down kind of world, depending a little bit on how coalition negotiations went. The other thing that happened in Denmark when you had this minority centre-right government backed by a bigger far-right party was that they did drive a uh, a broadly kind of left-wing policy on wealth, well, at least a centrist policy on welfare and hospitals and pensions and things like that. So the Danish People's Party didn't just drive them to the right on immigration, but also to the left on welfare, which didn't happen in Norway because the Progress Party is economically right-wing as well as politically. What the moderates would be hoping for is that they can give the Sweden Democrats some red meat on immigration and then basically run economic policy themselves. But you know, that's by no means guaranteed, particularly if they are the second largest party on that side of politics. I think think we should pause a minute and reflect on what a big event it would be if the moderates, as looks likely, um, are overtaken by the Sweden Democrats and lose their lose their status as sec- as the second largest party. You know, just just on a very symbolic level, they would they w- they would be kicked out of their offices in the Swedish Riksdag, which they've been in since as long as anyone can remember. Um, they, those are the moderates' offices, and they would be unceremoniously booted out. And the Sweden Democrats would move in. The Sweden Democrats would then basically be the official. There's no such thing as the official opposition. But, you know, if, even if the Social Democrats stayed in government, the Sweden Democrats would be the second largest party. The moderates would no longer have that very you know, particular status that goes with that. Even if, it, you know, for the time being, wouldn't look likely that the Sweden Democrats would be the um, obvious candidates to be the alternative prime minister. Still a massive, massive moment. Just a reminder that if you're a paying member of The Local, we have a weekly newsletter called Sweden Elects that's produced by editor Emma Lovegrain and focuses on the upcoming election. You can sign up now at thelocal.se forward slash newsletters. And if you're not a paying member but would like to become one, we have a special offer for podcast listeners at thelocal.se forward slash podcast offer. Now, crime and punishment have been front and centre of the election campaign in a year that has already seen 47 fatal shootings in Sweden, two more than in all of last year. We're going to talk now about how Sweden's political parties want to get to grips with violent crime, starting with the ruling Social Democrats. Now, Richard was in Kalmar in the southeast of Sweden last week to catch up with Justice Minister Morgan Johansson. And we're going to listen now to some of what he had to say. We've had a level on gang-related crime now in, in Sweden that has, uh, that has increased for the last years. I mean, the, the roots of this was created 20, 25 years ago, but has now in, increased and, uh, the, the last years and in a way that, that we really has made us think of how, how, how do we turn this around. And for the most actively, uh, most active criminals, the, 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 those ones who are doing the most crimes, we, I really think that we need to have longer punishments and longer period of time to have them into the, well, to the prison, correctional services, uh, in order to work with them, to, re, to reha- rehabilitate them. 
And we have had two short punishments for quite severe crimes. And we also have, have had a problem that we have sentenced people for, for a couple of months in prison and then they're out again committing more crimes. But that has to be combined, of course, with also uh, prevention in initiatives. I mean, do a lot, lot more on, uh, the, on, on issues of concerning young people schools, uh, education, active after-school activities and social services. So you have to combine these, these two things to be very tough on the people who are doing the most crime and get them... Because if you don't get them off the streets, mm. then they will keep on being... Uh, Recruiting. So you're saying. So, so, so you're saying the main reason you think long sentence is to get people off the streets. Get, get the most active. Yes, those people who are committing most crime. We have to get them off the streets. In order, otherwise, they will recruit new generations into these uh, gangs, and they will also be some kind of role, bad role models. We've just been listening to Sweden's somewhat embattled Justice Minister Morgan Johansson, who you may remember narrowly survived a vote of no confidence recently. And we haven't seen much of him in the election campaign. Did he seem like a man under pressure when you met him, Richard? Uh, quite the opposite, actually. He seemed I- extremely relaxed. I mean, Kalmar is a pretty nice place, so I think he was enjoying. But I asked him actually about that, about what it feels like to be the person who has taken the mantle of Dan Eliasson, the former head of the police, as the kind of the person the the populist right yeah. blames for crime in Sweden. So he is the person who is, you know, it's it's laid at his door. You know, he's the ridiculous human who's 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 allowed all the gangs to go around shooting people. So his Twitter feed must be a nightmare. <laughs> um, but he was just he he was. Ex- I asked him about that, and he was just like, you know what? It doesn't bother me at all. I've been a politician for a minister for twelve. I don't know how many years. How many years have you been a minister? You know, I've been a minister for eight years. I've been in in parliament for twelve, and 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 I, this is just water off a duck's back for me. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. One thing that we heard is that he's in favour of longer sentencing. What are some other policies the uh, parties are proposing to get to grips with crime in this election? All the political parties, really, apart from apart from the, the Greens and the and the Left Party, are really sort of focusing and, and doubling down on crime and punishment. You know, even the, even the Social Democrats. So everyone wants more police officers. Both sides of politics want more police officers. They all want tougher sentencing of some kind or another. So tougher sentencing for young offenders on the Social Democrat side, just general tougher sentencing on everybody on the other side. Uh, The Social Democrats have a slightly different emphasis in that they borrowed effectively um, Tony Blair's mantra, tough on crime, tough on the causes of crime, saying, oh, well, you know, we want to have have strong punishments, tough punishments, but we we see that crime is also connected to levels of education and welfare, and we want to focus in on those as well. Moderates want stop and search zones where people can be searched for weapons, even if they are not suspected of a crime, if they happen to be in a particular part of town that's been designated as a troubled area. Yeah. And, you know, together with the, the Sweden Democrats and, and the Liberals and the Christian Democrats, they've, they've actually agreed on a, on a whole list of policies. They want to have eavesdropping on gangs, criminalising gang membership and uh, deportation for, for people convicted of, of, of certain crimes if they happen to not be permanent resident citizens of Sweden. So some of the more left-field suggestions... That 
that have come out in the law and order area uh, come from the Social Democrats. They want to be able to do um, to search people's homes without suspicion of a crime or without a warrant. The moderates uh, want to be able to take luxury items from gang criminals if those criminals or suspected criminals or gang members can't show how they acquired those items. Another another policy suggestion comes from the Sweden Democrats who want it um, to be possible to punish young people, children, by giving them uh, community service orders. So, you know, cleaning toilets and stuff. And where the, where the purpose of this would be would, would, would specifically be to, to um, humiliate them, um, to make them embarrassed in front of their friends and, and, and with the idea that this would have a, a, a deterrent effect. So quite a lot of stuff here, quite a lot of what you might call creative suggestions, um, but obviously, you know, that come that are also coming in for a lot of criticism from people on the more liberal side. One of the policy proposals I'm most interested in is um, this one about confiscating luxury items, because more than just over two decades ago, Ireland had a big problem with gangland crime, and there were some really high-profile murders and the Irish police set up something called the Criminal Assets Bureau and this is exactly what it was set up to do to sort of you know target the the proceeds of crime and it's the consensus is that it it has it has worked a lot of the gang leaders have gradually moved abroad because they've, they've had so many of their assets confiscated that they've just figured that, you know, crime doesn't pay. Maybe it's time to get out of here. Will that work in Sweden as well? What they did in Ireland was to target, you know, the bosses and say, you know, here's your racehorse. Where's that from? Here's, you know, you know, and I think if you do that, like, for example, this case I covered for Vice, the, the guy who was this actually Swedish, the big drug importer, he had a apartment in Turning Torso, which is pretty much the most luxury place you can live in Malmo, and no, no source of income. And I think if, if they go after those people, you know, the people they know are the, the, the head honchos who they can't actually get evidence to tie them to a crime. If you go after those guys then and say, well, where's your car from? Then that, that could be effective. I think if they go out onto the streets of Rinkaby and stop anyone with a gold chain, it will be just it will be really bad for 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 trust and segregation and you know, it would just build a great sense of animosity. We can get back to these in a moment, but we're going to listen now to a chat I had yesterday with uh, Nicolas Lunaba, who has spent the last 16 years as the head of Hela Malma, a social movement which operates a network of support structures and activities for children living in disadvantaged neighbourhoods in Malma. And Hela Malma's work is research-based and despite not coming from an academic background himself, he has a long-standing relationship with Malma University, which awarded him an honorary doctorate earlier this year for his ability to put theory into practice. Let's listen now to what he had to say. And I started by asking him why he thinks Sweden has so many problems with violent crime at the moment. What we often talk about is you have to Uh, To prevent these social problems, you have to have the social tools to reach the kids. And what Mm -hmm. we often talk about is it's kind of a sociological uh, approach, which is young people and people in general need different contexts that they can uh, exist within. For example, if if you feel safe in school, you feel safe at home, 
you feel safe with your friends, and you feel safe walking around the neighborhood. You have different contexts where you can just be free and you can be who you are. The problem with a lot of these young people who are dragged into crime and, and stuff like that is they are deprived of these uh, these contexts. So, so what, they're, what they stick to is what they know and what they have. And that's their friends and yeah. the group that they feel, if not safe, then less uh, unsafe. So I think to really uh, build social, uh, what we call a social infrastructure with, with different contexts for them to be in, where they meet people who love them, who meet them with, with respect, who also knows what they're going through and stuff like that. So it's about, again, working with the social tools rather than the repressive tools that uh, we, we keep hearing about all the time. And of course, in our organization, we have proof of this. When we built this social infrastructure in, in an area and we approached the young people who sold drugs with these sort of, we, we could be kind of like role models for them because we are ourselves from that type of area. Yeah. They come up to us, we get to know them, and then we can you know, we have connections so they can get a job or or stuff like that, you know, start studying or something like that. So it's about meeting them where they are and change the course of their lives by approaching them, uh, you know, within their world of uh, feelings and thoughts and really respecting them and understanding what they go through. Yeah. And your organization has been quite successful in this and you've received prizes. Do you think that the politicians are looking closely enough at, at your project and similar projects? Are they talking to you? Are they are they acting on, on the sort of experiences that you're seeing? Interesting question. My first uh, answer would be absolutely not. Because you can look at Malmo, you can look at especially the the parties that, that are the, like the, the, the biggest parties in Sweden. They have chosen this very destructive path of repression, beating down on the most vulnerable groups in society, using a language which which is both racist and, and polarizing. And all of a sudden for them to change course is very hard because mm -hmm. then they will, as we say, uh, they will lose face, their yeah. faith, meaning they, they uh, you know, they, they can't do that for themselves. So they have to keep uh, this uh, destructive, negative, and wrong path, instead of doing building something constructive, and they have adapted the Swedish Democrats' rhetoric and and also um, uh, the way they view people and how, mm. how they um, divide us into groups out of you know from race and and culture and religion. So they are a, a party that is that has a authoritarian and racist racist foundation and unfortunately these other parties are using the same rhetoric and the same tactics the justice minister morgan johansson and other politicians um, talk a lot about tougher sentencing for gun crime and drug related offenses are longer prison terms a good idea i think by answering that question we already know the answer it's it's a part of their the kind of uh, right-wing populism that they use, the rhetoric they use, uh, again, to get votes, uh, we know it does not work. If you can show me any serious study where it actually works, then uh, we can talk about it. When when a crime has been committed, say we had a like a 15-year-old who um, shot and killed somebody in a, a shopping centre in Malmö recently, and we've had similar shootings like that with young people mm -hmm. involved, um, what what should be done there. 
if someone is a threat to themselves or someone else, then they have to be uh, sort of isolated. That is a that is a common thing. I mean, it's a lot. It's a logical and intelligent idea, right? Yeah. So, uh, but if we are interested, because in this country we are we are very interested in isolating, punishing. We if we believe that people should be given a second chance, if we if young people can be re- rehabilitated, then we that's what we need to do. So if someone is a threat to themselves or someone else, then they have to be isolated, but not given up upon. We Mm -hmm. still have to work with them and make sure that they can come out healthy on the other side. Any other way of working with young people is inhumane and wrong and immoral. So I think this is a talk about does prison work, prison sentencing and punishment and stuff like that. And what is the aim? What is the aim for doing this? So I think with young people, we should always have in, have in mind, they can always be better. We have to take care of them. We have failed. What can we do to prevent this from happening again? And what can we do so that, so that this person can come out better on the other side? That was Nicolas Lunaba from Hela Malmo, who, as you heard, was distinctly unimpressed with how Sweden's politicians are tackling crime prevention and punishment in the country. I think it was interesting to hear that like someone who is, I guess we can call him an expert in this subject, just kind of feeling the same that I've heard from a lot of people, this kind of dismayed that people are talking about these issues when they don't actually know how to solve them. We kind of had the same, we heard the same thing from Andrea last week, um, who kind of was a specialist Mm. on segregation and integration. And just this whole feeling of like, if you actually want to stop this from happening, why don't you ask people that know about it? Why don't you look at the theory? But it, it's just this kind of feeling that politicians are just peddling sound bites that are going to sound positive to people like, oh, yeah, stronger sentences. That sounds great. That sounds like it'll make sense. But when you actually look into the data, it doesn't make sense. And it makes much more sense to do other things instead. It's hard to say to voters that effectively, well, more of the same is what's going to solve the issues of gun violence and gang violence in these areas. You know, I think the reason that the Sweden Democrats have grown so big and the reason that these issues have become so important in this election is that many Swedes are freaked out, shocked, horrified by reports of people being shot on the streets of Sweden, even if they're in areas where most of the people who are voting for the Sweden Democrats don't actually live. They see it on the news and it freaks them out. And particularly Sweden Democrat voters see the old establishment of politicians is responsible for this, for allowing what they would see as uncontrolled immigration and then for not punishing, as they would see it, and and not prosecuting criminals in these immigrant-dominated areas. You know, the immigration question and the crime and punishment question are so intrinsically, they're they're so closely uh, interlinked in people's minds and anybody suggesting anything other than draconian punishments is not going to get a hearing from those voters at the moment. At least that's how the parties see it. I think it's 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 kind of important to underline that this 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 is not new. This is the pattern of politics you see in every country in the world and have done forever. That basically the majority of ordinary people think that the solution to crime is to string them up and hang them all, and uh, and uh, and criminologists almost to it, you know, the experts all think that the solution is 
is is not long sentences and tough punishments, it's preventative measures. And unfortunately, the politics, that the experts can never win over the politics on crime and punishment. So every politician everywhere in the world, from Tony Blair, sort of has to sort of sort of basically sort of hold their breath and put in place policies that they know aren't backed by the evidence because that's what voters support. Okay, well, that's just about all for this week. We'll be back again next Saturday, which is the day before the election. And if you have anything that you'd like us to discuss, any issues that you feel merit some more coverage, please do get in touch with us. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, for example, at Sweden in Focus, or you can drop us an email at news at the local dot se. Thank you, as always, for listening. And thank you to our regular panellists, Becky Waterton, James Savage and Richard Orange. And to our sound engineer, Rhys Edwards. And uh, yeah, we'll be back again just in time for the election with a new episode. Until then, take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.